Section 12 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katla Christiansdaughter. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. A Strange Love Story, Part 2. The next day Lady B. handed this note to Mr. Stewart, and Donald at once went off to Adelstein, whom he found lost in grief, having just returned from the Trevelyan's lodgings, where he had learned that the young lady was gone. Stewart tried to rouse him up. "'Come, come,' he said, "'be a man and shake this madness off. Think of your wife in heaven, and leave this girl to the disposal of her father. She is already pledged to another man.' "'Against her will,' said Adelstein calmly. "'She herself had given no pledge. "'How could she, being already my wife? "'But do not torture me, Donald. "'She is gone, it is true, but I shall find her again.' "'Be it so, old friend. "'All that I can do to help you, I will do. "'In the meantime, while we are all at fault, "'come with me to my Scotch mountainside.' There you can get up your strength and consider what further steps to take. After much persuasion, Adelstein consented to accompany his friend. All his attempts to hear further tidings of Hilda had proved vain, and, as no letter came from her to him, he concluded that she was closely watched. Donald hoped, on the contrary, that she had only returned to her senses. On a lovely June evening the two friends arrived at the gate leading into Stuart's private grounds in a lovely part of Scotland, and leaving their carriage with the servants, walked up a winding by-path which tacked along a garden-wreathed mountainside. At their feet lay the sea, guarded by cliffs which were low here and high there, and at one part formed themselves into a sort of lofty bridge leading from Stuart's charming dwelling on the upper heights to the sand-strewn and rock-bound shore beneath. At one point they stood still to admire the magnificent view, their gaze resting on the violet-tipped peaks in the clouds, and then falling and following the golden light that ran along the smooth wave toward the golden west, and Adelstein raised his hat with a gesture of reverent delight. "'Colour is hardly a sculptor's province,' he said with a smile." but I could almost wish at this moment to be a painter. Donald was delighted. I think I can make you happy here, he said, for a week at least. You can go when you're tired of us. Adelstein smiled his answer. His thoughts had been carried away to the Alps, to the Roman hills. That delicate violet on these lovely mountains had coloured his imagination with her own suggestions. His soul was away with Hilda on the Alps. They continued their walk, still climbing, and presently, here and there, between bush and scour, glimpses of Donald's home came into view. One steep path of a few yards remained to be travelled, and at the top of it a figure in white appeared with one arm thrown around a young ash-tree, a figure leaning forward as if watching for their approach. A few more steps, and they were face to face with Hilda. "'Good heavens!' cried Donald. "'Miss Trevelyan!' "'How have you come here?' She had slipped her hand through Adelstein's arm, and, looking at Stuart frankly, said, "'Ah, Mr. Stuart, what an unkind welcome! 
how often in the old days have you hoped i should come here donald turned to his friend what does this mean max he said has it been a preconcerted plan if a plan at all a plan of providence said adelstein whose face was shining with satisfaction the same power that has sent hilda back into the world has been able to place her feet upon your hills that is all i have to say hilda will tell us the rest as for me i have felt that turn where i might i should meet her again my father sent me here said hilda indirectly he sent me here he placed me with his friends a mile away and mrs stuart met me with them and invited me to spend a few days with her i have felt like max that our parting would not be for long this morning mrs stuart said to me my husband arrived this evening and he brings with him his old friend the sculptor adelstein and i was not the least surprised to hear it then they turned away hand in hand just as hilda and max used to saunter together on the alps long ago and donald amazed and troubled went in at his own door and retired to take counsel with his wife mrs stuart was greatly astonished at the tale her husband had to tell i took fancy to the girl she said there's something so uncommon about her it was but natural to ask her to come here the people she was with are stiff and hard in their way and she seemed so pleased to get away from them it was very natural jeanie said her husband and it was also natural in me to bring poor adelstein here the coincidence is the part of it that takes away my breath i think we can hardly be to blame said mrs stuart if trevelyan had been acquainted with me it could not have happened said donald but he knows nothing of me and i know little of him the only thing for me to do is to write to him stating the case as it stands and meantime if possible to get adelstein away with me on an excursion somewhere the evening passed quietly away the host and hostess secretly ill at ease exerted themselves to appear as if nothing was wrong at dinner-time adelstein talked brilliantly and was so transformed that donald his friend of years scarcely knew him hilda appeared in the rich dress of pure white in which he had met her in london and her face was shining with tranquil happiness there were no other guests as the hours passed by mrs stuart who could not detect symptoms of madness in either of her guests reflected that it was a thousand pities that these two must be parted later in the evening hilda sang scotch and german ballads sang the songs that the other hilda had sung twenty years ago before the door of her alpine home adelstein sat by her side gazing at her with looks of worship after the ladies had retired to rest stuart put his arm through that of his friend and drew him out on the terrace overlooking the sea my dear fellow he said fortune has been playing curiously into your hands i admit but you see i cannot allow this sort of thing to go on miss trevelyan is here by a strange accident now until her father comes or sends to remove her you must take yourself away i will go with you on an excursion round the coast anywhere you like so that you can get out of this house for a time adelstein smiled donald he said you are the soul of honour and always were you would sacrifice even the happiness of your old friend to your idea of honour i respect you i feel with you where any other matter than this is concerned 
but when you speak of miss trevelyan you forget that you speak of max adelstein's wife that is the one point which i cannot keep before you man man cried donald out of all patience will you not give up this unholy craze does providence work miracles for you alone come come old friend do not exasperate me the world is full of miracles donald only we do not perceive them i will not believe that you do not recognize hilda i see a startling likeness but that does not overturn my reason i see a likeness in person but many differences in character the first hilda had a noble mind strong clear common sense nay she had genius which is not always allied with the other quality miss trevelyan is weak imaginative and without any strength of character i have thought of some differences and they only strengthen my belief if indeed it needed strengthening in the first place you wrong the lady you are pleased to call miss trevelyan and miss trevelyan i am willing you should call her till our marriage can be solemnized again she is not weak in character as you believe she is feminine believing in short she knows what you will not admit as for the genius that once distinguished her ah donald do you forget what you told me she said when promising to return to me if she could if i come she said i will come without the talent which i believe was the only flaw that max could ever see in me she was wrong there i saw no flaw in her and by her talent and devotion she carried me over the worst the hardest bit of my career but she thought it anything of genius i may possess she continued i hereby solemnly bequeath to max and herein lies the secret of my later complete success if i come again she said i will come without it he drew a little pocket-book out of his breast and read over again the words in stuart's writing do you forget jotting this down he asked and afterwards giving it at my request to me i have never parted with it for a moment since you put it in my hands and so have driven yourself mad on one point said stuart aghast at this result of his own well-meant action i am not mad donald said max quietly putting the book back in its resting-place but these are among the things that are beyond our ken there's no use in battling with a madman said stuart to his wife that night i cannot bring him to reason and the girl seems as much astray as he i have communicated with her father already in the morning i will write him a fuller account of the unexpected meeting here and this is all i can do i cannot see that either is mad said mrs stuart and to me it seems like sin to meddle between them why can they not marry and be happy in their touching delusion if delusion it be if delusion it be said stuart my dear are you losing your senses too i hope not donald i have always been called matter-of-fact but i would rather not dwell on this point i take my stand simply on this that i would like to see so interesting a pair married and happy there i heartily agree with you but i am not her father nor are you her mother and her father must have his voice in the matter nothing more was said but early in the morning stuart rose and went to his study to write his letter to hilda's father this written and dispatched he went out to the garden to wait for the summons to breakfast 
Returning to the house, he met his wife coming down the path. "'Neither Mr. Adelstein nor Hilda's to be found,' she said hurriedly. "'Good heavens!' said Stuart. "'Has no one seen them?' "'The gardener saw them about six o'clock this morning.' "'Where?' "'Here in the garden. When he arrived to begin his work, he met Mr. Adelstein walking about and looking as if he had not slept all night. Presently Miss Trevelyan appeared, fresh and bright after her sleep, and walked among the roses.' "'gathering them as she went, and splashing herself with dew. "'She seemed surprised to see Mr. Adelstein. "'They spoke together for some time, "'never seeming to notice the presence of the gardener. "'At last Mr. Adelstein said, "'Come, then,' and took her by the hand, "'and they walked away together, hand in hand. "'And then the sun rose high, suddenly, "'and he could not see where they went for the blaze of light. "'He thinks they went down towards the cliffs.' "'Perhaps they have only gone for a walk,' said Stuart but with a face of anxiety. Mrs. Stewart shook her head. "'I think,' she said, "'that you will never see them again till they are indeed man and wife. Hasty marriages are easily made in this country, remember?' "'And all your sympathies are with the crazy pair,' said Stuart almost angrily. "'You do not think of the trouble that I shall get into with her friends.' Even while the husband and wife talked in the garden, the sky darkened, and great drops of rain began to fall. The wind rose, and there was every sign of a storm. Stuart, nothing daunted by the weather, set off post-haste in a carriage with a pair of horses to follow in the track of his friend. He felt conviction that his wife's words were true, that Adelstein had taken the matter into his own hands and would make Hilda his wife before friends or enemies could interfere. The route he followed ran along by the sea, and after an hour's driving through the storm he arrived at a small fishing seaport, where he made inquiries among the people. He soon learned that his fears were realized. A lady and gentleman had presented themselves that morning to the clergyman of the place, and had been married. Immediately afterwards they had hired a hooker to carry them, some said to France, some said to Ireland. Half an hour after they left the pier, the storm began to rise. Many had watched the hooker through a glass with some anxiety, but it had seemed to hold on its way steadily enough, and was now out of sight. "'Ireland or France,' said Mr. Stewart impatiently. "'Surely someone knows where they are going. Who would take them in a hooker from here to France?' "'Our hookers will do better work than you think,' said a brawny fisherman. "'But I heard them talk about Ireland.' Mr. Stewart was in despair. It did not matter, after all, towards what country the husband and wife had set their faces. He thought bitterly of Lady B. and her friend, Mr. Trevelyan, and wished impatiently that this extraordinary elopement had taken place from under any roof rather than his own. Of Adelstein's happiness he could not even think, so vexatious were the circumstances in which he found himself unexpectedly placed. Stamping up and down the pier while he made his reflections, he scarcely noticed that the storm was becoming wilder every moment, till suddenly a furious gust, almost sweeping him from his foothold, startled him out of his musing, and changed his feeling of anger against the runaway pair into anxious fears for their safety. Gazing round him, after a long look at the now raging sea, he was aware of a group of solemn weather-beaten faces scanning his features with sympathy— and he immediately questioned the men as to the amount of danger to be apprehended from the storm. "'It's a bad day, and it'll be a war night,' said one who had made himself spokesman for the rest. 
I would rather your friends had taken their flight by land. Sick at heart now, Stuart pressed the seafaring men with questions. Their fear was that the hooker would run upon some of the rocks along the coast. Donald took his way to the inn of the village, where his horses were put up, and decided on sending a message to his wife, and remaining in this place for the night. It did not appear to him that he could effect much good by doing so, yet he felt more within reach of news on this spot than he should have felt in his drawing-room at home. Towards evening the tempest swelled into a hurricane. One or two houses were flung down in the little town, slates and chimneys from all sides clattered into the street, and the bells from the various points of danger on the rocky coast clanged and tolled the black night through. Stuart walked his room hour after hour, and tried to check his gloomy thoughts by recurring to the suggestion of one of the sailors, that after all the hooker might have put in somewhere along the coast before the storm became so furious. This was the only hope that presented itself in the midst of horror, and he clung to it with all his might. Nevertheless, as he left his room in the wild, scared light of the morning, and went out to look about, he felt a dread at heart that some unforeseen catastrophe had ended the curious drama in which he had been obliged unwillingly to take a part. About twelve o'clock the storm went down, but the weather remained bleak and sullen. Stuart ordered his carriage and set off by the coast road, stopping at all the dwellings and villages he went along, asking if a hooker had been harboured or wrecked in the neighbourhood. The search was vain. The answer to questions as to harbour generally was, no hooker could live in such a hurricane as that of last night. When it was quite evening, he at last met a man upon the road who had some little news to give him. Having heard of people who had been washed in that morning near a village some miles further on by the shore, yes, there was a man, and there was a woman. The woman was a lady, and had been taken into somebody's house. Stuart now drove as fast as his horses could carry him, and arrived at the place where the sea had given up its prey. "'Oh, aye,' said the folks he met. A sailor-boy and a lady had been washed in alive. A gentleman and one or two others had been drowned. Then a revulsion of feeling swept over Donald Stuart, and his heart cried out for the faithful friend of so many bygone years. If one must be taken, why could it not have been the woman who had lent her weakness to help a great mind to its ruin? He forgot the father who would hold him, Donald Stuart, accountable for the fate of a child, and thought only of his own irreparable loss. He was taken into a humble fisherman's house, and there by the fire sat the sailor-lad who had survived the wreck. In a few strong words he told the story of the night's catastrophe. The gentleman was as brave as a lion, he said. He lashed the lady to the mast, and that was how she was saved. For himself the gentleman counted surely on his swimming— he was a powerful swimmer, and must have been dashed upon the rocks and stunned. He, the lad saved, could not swim a stroke. These things were well known to be all chance or fate. The waves which had killed the skilful swimmer had but tossed the helpless boy roughly in their embrace, and hurled him safe upon the sand. In an inner room Hilda was lying upon a bed. She did not speak, but fixed one long strange look upon Donald Stewart and then turned away her face to the wall. Stuart sent for his wife immediately, and that kind woman nursed the girl through what proved to be a dangerous illness. 
when she was sufficiently restored they carried her home to their house where her father had arrived to meet her a rather narrow-minded unsympathetic man mr trevelyan was unable to take any lenient view of his daughter's conduct while she lay in peril of death his grief was extreme but once she was out of danger his anger rose high again and he resolved that as soon as she was able to bear them his reproaches should be equal to her deserts however when he saw her sit listening to his hard words with an absent unmoved expression of face as if she hardly heard him or did not understand him his eloquence failed and he felt more fear than wrath stirring within him what do you think of her he asked timorously of mrs stuart i know what you mean she said but i do not find any flaw in her brain she is simply overwhelmed by a depth of agony which you and i cannot fathom but how can she feel such grief for a man of whom she knew so little you surely do not believe her story that she lived a former existence and was adelstein's wife i cannot tell you exactly what i believe said mrs stuart with a troubled look Perhaps I am a little overtired myself with anxiety and nursing, but I have been powerfully impressed by the strength and vividness of her own conviction on the subject. Her ravings were most strange. She does not speak about the matter now. "'Try to get her to speak,' said the father, who was softening every moment towards his child. Mrs. Stewart tried to lead her to open her mind on the strange subject which engrossed it. Hilda sat at the window, her fair, almost silvery head set in a framework of roses, her face deadly pale, her eyes darkened with her habitual shadow of grief. Stuart, looking at her, was startled afresh by her extraordinary resemblance to the dying Hilda, who, sitting thus at a window looking out at the Roman hills, had spoken to him those fatal words which he had too faithfully recorded and repeated to her husband overwhelmed by an almost supernatural feeling that forced him against his will to share momentarily the delusion of his lamented friend and to imagine that he saw the hilda of rome in the flesh before him he arose hastily and went out of the room my dear said mrs stuart struck with something in the girl's eyes which had suddenly turned on her will you not speak to me a little if only to ease your poor heart what can i say said hilda with a wan smile there is one thought ever in my mind and who can share it with me i rashly asked to have my heaven in returning to the earth to him my prayer was granted not for my heaven but for my purgatory dear child and my punishment i shall have to endure i am not going to die as you all seem to fear i shall live many years in my purgatory and I shall not be allowed to be idle in my pain. Work will be found for me to do. As soon as she was sufficiently restored to health, her father took her away to her old home in Cornwall, where she lived with him as a dutiful and tender daughter till his death, which occurred a few years after these events. But there was always something in her face which seemed to mark her as different from other girls, and no man dared ask her to be his wife. After her father's death she went abroad, and joined the devoted ranks of the Sisters of Charity. Further, we cannot follow her, but she is living still. End of section 12 Recording by Kotla Christian's Daughter